Welcome to Jonathan Reed's Old Newspapers, Episode 6. In tonight's episode, we're going back to Saturday, March 17, 1900, 121 years ago. Richard P. Leary, the American governor of Guam, issued a proclamation abolishing slavery on the island. American forces, led by Major Henry Hale of the 44th Infantry Battalion, arrived at Tagbilaran and took control of Bohol in the Philippines. The Boholanos resisted American occupation for years thereafter. The Topeka Daily Capital published its final Sheldon edition, bringing to a close an experiment that had started on March 13th. The publisher of the Capitol had challenged author Charles Sheldon to try editing a daily newspaper as Jesus might. Sheldon, the author of In His Steps and the originator of the question, What Would Jesus Do?, edited the paper for five days, emphasizing good news stories. During the experiment, the circulation of the Capitol increased from about 12,000 to more than 350,000 with the help of presses in Chicago and New York City. And now, tonight's paper, the New York Tribune. Let's start with the reports of the snow on page three. Sloppy, slushy, slippery. Streets in a horrid mess after the storm. Nagel retrogrades from the standard of his first snow-removing performance. While the skies were bright and smiling yesterday, the streets of the city were in such a sloppy, slushy, and slippery state that travel was disagreeable and tiresome. The Uvalde Asphalt Company, which has the contract for snow removal, aided and directed by the street cleaning department, made a poor beginning of the work of clearing the streets of snow. Progress was so much slower than after the snowstorm in February that Everybody noticed the difference. P.E. Nagel, the new commissioner of street cleaning, did not have occasion yesterday to applaud himself. Not so much snow had fallen as that which encumbered the streets in the storm in February, but it was allowed to lie in the most important streets to turn into slush. Many crossings were impassable. Gutters that should have been kept clear were choked with melting snow. Pools of water gathered in every street. Considerable praise was bestowed upon Commissioner Nagel after the removal of the snow that fell in February, but yesterday New Yorkers were saying with much emphasis that Mr. Nagel was as much of a failure as a street cleaner as a Tammany politician of his record might be expected to be. The condition of most of the streets where the snow was melting yesterday was so shocking as to make thousands of New Yorkers disgusted with Tammany administration. Mr. Nagel was at his office early yesterday morning to urge the employees of his department and the Uvalde Asphalt Company to concerted attack upon the snow in the streets. He drove about the city most of the day, directing the work of the snow shovelers. Nearly 3,000 men were set to work shoveling snow in Broadway between the Battery and 46th Street. About 2,000 carts and wagons were engaged in hauling the snow from Broadway to the rivers. 
It took from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. to get Broadway cleared of snow. The carts interfered with the cable cars to such an extent that some of the cars took two hours to go from the Battery to 42nd Street. The cars also interfered considerably with the loading of the snow carts. Blockades were frequent all along the line. Several breakdowns occurred. Mr. Nagel was disturbed at the slowness of the work in Broadway, where nearly all the force was being expended. We can't get carts enough for the work, he said at one time, and without enough carts, our hands are tied. Owners of carts are afraid of their horses. This job is giving lots of trouble, but we'll keep at it until all the snow is in the river. While Broadway was being cleared, Many men were employed shoveling the snow into heaps in the Bowery, Fifth Avenue in the Boulevard, and in the Ferry Streets. It was announced at the office of the contracting company that the work of hauling snow would be pushed all last night with all the carts and wagons that could be secured. Superintendent Bradish said, Although the present snowfall is only about half as heavy as the last one was, we are having a great deal more trouble with it because of the sleet and rain which made it difficult to handle. The heavy traffic in Broadway today interfered with the work. We expect to make a good showing tonight. At the office of the snow contractor late last night, it was announced that about 70,000 loads of snow had been removed from the streets during the day and evening. It was declared that 4,800 men and 2,700 carts have been employed to do the work. The following streets were said to have been cleared. Broadway to 79th Street, 5th Avenue to 125th Street, all the downtown ferry streets, and 14th, 23rd, 34th, 42nd, 59th, and 125th Streets from river to river. Snow had been piled in Park Row and the Bowery for removal. Representatives of the Uvalde Asphalt Company said the removal of the snow should be completed by tomorrow morning. Westchester Trolley Roads Disabled The heavy snow and the sleet and rain blocked trolley traffic in Westchester County yesterday. It was well into the afternoon on some of the roads before the plows and shovelers dug out the tracks so that the cars could run. Staten Island trolley cars delayed. The trolley lines on Staten Island were in poor shape yesterday morning owing to the snow. Each car made the best headway it could, but no attempt was made to observe schedule time. Collision of Ferry and cattle boats. While crossing the North River yesterday morning about nine o'clock, the Erie Railroad ferry boat Erie bumped into a heavy cattle barge coming downstream. The ferry boat was crowded with passengers, but there was no panic on board. Neither boat was damaged. Cold and snow in Louisiana. New Orleans, March 16th. The weather in this city and throughout Louisiana continues cold, and the local bureau sends out a prediction of frost for tonight. 
Snow fell and ice formed generally last night, not only in North Louisiana, but in the southern section as well. In the vicinity of the city, some damage to fruits and vegetables is reported, but reports are meager of the damage to crops elsewhere. Here, the temperature went down to 29 degrees at 6 a.m. The maximum yesterday was 66 degrees. Special dispatches to the Picayune report snowstorms at the following points in Louisiana. Columbia, Bonita, Arcadia, and Shreveport. In Mississippi, Aberdeen, Columbus, Grenada, Holly Springs, Oxford, Okalona, Tupelo, Water Valley, West Point, and Utica, doing much damage to fruit trees and vegetables. Deep Snow and Coal Regions, Shamakin, Pennsylvania, March 16th. Snow began falling here yesterday morning, and when the storm ceased at four o'clock this morning, the ground was covered to a depth of 17 inches, and this place is now completely snowbound. Over 6,000 men and boys living between here and Mount Carmel and employed at the various collieries are idle, owing to the blockade. The trolley lines in this city and between here and Mount Carmel are at a standstill, while trains on the Reading, Northern Central, and Lehigh Valley railroads are many hours behind time. In a number of mountain passes traversed by trains, the snow has drifted from 5 to 15 feet. The storm was especially severe in the coal regions, the snowfall being the heaviest of the seasons. Mishaps due to the storm, delays in traffic, and accidents to individuals and vehicles. The aftermath of Thursday's storm came in yesterday in the shape of reports of delays in traffic and accidents, humorous and otherwise, caused by wind and snow. A combination corrugated iron and canvas awning in front of Charles Weisbecker's Market, numbers 268 and 270 West 125th Street, collapsed under the weight of snow at 2.30 o'clock yesterday morning and buried two men who were passing beneath it. They were James Moore, 30 years old, of number 55 East 122nd Street, and Edward Gallinger, a lawyer, who lives at number 2142 7th Avenue. Moore sustained a few slight bruises, and Gallinger's head was cut and he was otherwise slightly injured. Patrick J. Neary, 43 years old, of Kearney, New Jersey, while standing at Cedar Street and Broadway yesterday afternoon, was struck on the head by falling snow and ice and received a compound fracture of the skull. He was taken to the Hudson Street Hospital. An automobile hack ran full tilt into a big snow mound made by the street cleaning force in Park Row, close to the post office yesterday morning. The automobile stopped and several men dug it out. The operator forgot to shut off the power, and when released, the vehicle shot forward and became embedded in another snow mound. This time, the power was shut off. 
The passenger got out just after the first collision and walked to his destination. One of a team of horses drawing a Third Avenue mail car from back of the post office yesterday morning slipped in the slush and fell into a triangular hole ten feet on a side and six feet deep. The hole was made weeks ago for changing the motive power of the Fourth Avenue line at this point. The hole was left uncovered and the horse fell in. The other animal pulled away and saved himself. A derrick was procured after futile attempts had been made by other means to get the animal out. The horse was pulled out by means of the derrick and ropes which a workman put around the animal's body. The animal was not injured. The accident stopped the traffic on the 3rd Avenue electric line for several hours. Superintendent White of the General Delivery Department of the Post Office said yesterday morning, that owing to the storm, the northern and eastern mails were between one and two hours late, and the western mails from an hour and a half to three hours late, while the southern mails were only slightly delayed. There was only one train late at the Grand Central, according to report there yesterday morning. This was the Montreal Express, which comes through the Adirondack, Adirondack Mountains, it was only half an hour behind time, being due at 8.55 a.m. All the Central, New York, New Haven, and Hartford, and New York and Harlem trains were on time. The principal damage done to telegraph wires was on Long Island near Jamaica, where 26 of the 100 wires were down. The service was interfered with to a certain extent, though messages could be sent along the remaining wires and by roundabout ways. On the long-distance telephone system, there were a number of wires down between Philadelphia and Washington. Superintendent Brooks said yesterday morning that the worst damage done to telephone wires was in the neighborhood of Freehold, New Jersey, where a considerable interruption of the regular traffic was caused by wires down. In the meantime, any point on the system could be reached by roundabout wires. Ice and wind at Newport News. Much damage done to poles and wires. Newport News, Virginia, March 16th, special. The greatest destruction ever wrought here by wind and ice occurred last night and this morning, when the thermometer went down below freezing in a heavy rainfall causing ice to form on everything, and the wind sprang up and continued at high velocity for several hours. Telephone and telegraph poles and wires for squares were wrecked, and it will take a week or ten days to put the lines in perfect operation again. The entire city was ice-coated this morning, presenting a spectacle rarely seen. The trees, grass, shrubbery, Telephone, telegraph, electric light, and fire alarm wires, and every roof had icicles depending from them, and the masts and the shrouds of the two score ships in the harbor were white with ice. The telephone poles in one half of the city were wrecked, the poles and wires having been snapped in pieces. On one street alone, 45 poles on a stretch were down. The lines to Hampton and Old Point are crippled and one company lost its cable to Norfolk. Probably $10,000 will be required to prepare the damage. 
The electric cars took three hours to make their first trips from Hampton this morning. Boston streets flooded. Boston, March 16th. The snowstorm which began here last night turned to hail and rain today. The streets in several sections of the city were flooded. On Charles Street, between Boylston and Beacon Streets, the water was up to the car steps. Rain fell all along the coast region of New England last night, but inland it snowed. A foot of snow had fallen at 8 o'clock this morning at Northfield, Vermont. Reports from other New England points indicate that there was some danger of freshets, although the prospect of clear, cold weather tonight lessened the probability of serious trouble. Steamer caught in Lake Michigan ice. Detroit, March 16th. A dispatch from St. Joseph, Michigan, says that the steamer Louisville of the Graham and Morton line, which was due to arrive from Chicago early today, is lodged in the ice fields about five miles out. When last seen, she was entering the ice to the southwest. Four short blasts of her whistle were heard, signifying need of a tug or in distress. The steamer could not be seen owing to the heavy snowstorm prevailing. In reply to the signals, the tug Andy was ordered out to render assistance. The tug disappeared in the snowstorm on the southwestern course, blowing a relief whistle, to which the lodge steamer failed to reply. The Louisville has on board about 20 passengers, mostly Chicago and Benton Harbor merchants, and a cargo of package freight. The boat is in command of Captain John Stewart. She was built in 1895. At Graham and Morton's headquarters here, no apprehension is felt for the safety of the steamer. No one turned away. Superintendent William C. York of the City Lodging House in First Avenue, between 23rd and 24th Streets, told a Tribune reporter yesterday that nobody was turned away in the storm of Thursday night through lack of accommodation. There were only 249 applicants for shelter, said Mr. York, and we can accommodate 346. The number of men would have been larger if it had not been that many stayed out in the hope of getting a job at shoveling snow. It might interest charitably disposed New Yorkers to know that many of our lodgers are willing to work at shoveling snow or anything else, but they are not properly clad and are particularly in need of shoes. Last year, hundreds of our lodgers got work shoveling snow and came back here with frozen toes and fingers. Cast-off clothes and shoes would be very acceptable just now. Heavy snow in southwest. Dallas, Texas, March 16th. The heaviest snowstorm in many years set in today and is now falling over northern Texas, Oklahoma, and Indian Territory. Many places report six inches of snow, and much suffering to livestock is expected owing to the lateness of the season. Northern trains delayed. Saratoga, New York, March 16th. The snowstorm that began last evening still continues. 20 inches of snow fell inside of 15 hours. Whitehall, New York, March 16th. 
a severe snowstorm is prevailing throughout the Champlain Valley. It began on Thursday afternoon, accompanied by high northerly winds. Nearly 12 inches of snow has fallen. The storm was abating at noon. Through trains from Montreal to New York will be considerably delayed. Plattsburgh, New York, March 16th. A snowstorm set in over the Adirondacks last night and still continues, about 10 inches of snow having fallen. Trains are delayed from three to five hours. There is now about four feet of snow on the level in the open country and between five and six feet in the woods, making lumbering almost impossible. There is danger of floods if a sudden thaw sets in. Perfecting Taylor's Case An amended answer filed in Kentucky Governorship Contest to carry it to federal courts. Louisville, Kentucky, March 16th The amended answer of the Republicans in the Beckham-Taylor consolidated suit involving the governorship was filed with Judge Field in the city court today. It has been in preparation by ex-Governor Bradley Judge Yost and other attorneys since Judge Field's recent decision declaring his court had no jurisdiction in the case and that his court could not review the actions of the legislature seating Beckham. The amended answer is made principally to perfect the record before the case is taken to the Court of Appeals and, if possible, to the United States Supreme Court. This purpose is shown by an elaboration in the answer of constitutional points which were raised in the recent suit before Judge Taft at Cincinnati. It is asserted that if the proceedings of the legislature so far have conformed to the state constitution, they are in violation of Amendments 5 and 14 of the federal constitution, which forbid the exercise of arbitrary power by the state or any department thereof whereby any person may be deprived of life, liberty, or property, including therein the enjoyment of honors and the occupation of positions of trust and emolument. From violation of this principle, it is declared that offense have suffered. The power of the legislature to determine contest for the office of governor and lieutenant governor is held to be judicial in nature and subject to the same restrictions and limitations to which judicial power is ordinarily subjected. The next most important contention relates to the conditions in Frankfurt at the time Governor Taylor issued his proclamation adjourning the legislature to London, Kentucky, the purpose being to attack the validity of anything done by the legislature while the proclamation was in force. It is declared that intense excitement existed following the shooting of William Goebel. Threats of blowing up public buildings and taking of human life were freely made. The public peace was threatened, and there was a general state of confusion, insurrection, and danger to life and property. The remainder of the answer relates to alleged irregularities in the proceedings of the contest boards notably a refusal to act upon objections filed as to competency of certain of the board and arbitrary restrictions placed upon the taking of testimony, which, it is asserted, worked to the injury of the defendants. 
charged with the Goebel murder. The men under arrest taken back to Frankfurt. Frankfurt, Kentucky, March 16th. Caleb Powers, John Davis, W.H. Colton, and Harland Whitaker were brought here from Louisville today in charge of Sheriff Souter and deputies. A special detail of police and deputy sheriffs met them at the training, and they were marched to the jail through the streets, which were lined with people who anticipated their coming. There was no disorder, and the prisoners greeted their friends pleasantly as they went to jail. The prisoners were arraigned before County Judge Moore at 11 o'clock. Judge Moore set the examining trials for Monday. County Attorney Polsgrove said he did not think the state could get ready for trial by that time, and in case it did not, he would ask for a continuance of two days. Counsel for Suspected Men Meeting held in Louisville and a fund started to defend the incident. Louisville, Kentucky, March 16th. As a result of meetings held by a number of prominent citizens of Louisville, it is announced that ex-Governor John Young Brown has accepted employment as chief counsel for the men arrested for the murder of the late William Goebel. With him will be associated George Denny, W.C.P. Breckenridge, and several others. At the meeting, mentioned resolutions were adopted denouncing the assassination and urging earnest efforts to detect and convict the murderers. The fear was expressed that the $100,000 appropriation may result in the prosecution and conviction of innocent persons for political ends. The resolutions conclude, The money that may be subscribed is not to be used for the purpose of shielding any guilty man. It is not to be used directly or indirectly for the purpose of obstructing justice, nor for promoting political or partisan ends. It is to be used for the single purpose of aiding the accused in their employment of intelligent and fearless counsel, in procuring the attendance of witnesses, and otherwise in securing to them a fair and impartial trial. Following the adoption of the resolutions, a subscription was started. There was one subscription for $1,000, several for $500, and other for smaller sums. Colonel John H. Leathers was named as treasurer of the fund. The names of the subscribers are not made public. Cases of Prisoners at Lexington Lexington, Kentucky, March 16th The cases of State Secretary of State Powers and Captain Davis were again called today before Police Judge Riley. Judge George Den Denny Jr. for the defense asked for a rule against Chief of Police John McDee Ross to show cause why the prisoners were not in court to answer. Judge Riley held that as he issued neither warrants nor metamus in the case, and as the prisoners had been in charge of the sheriff and not of the police, neither was the chief responsible, nor did his courts have jurisdiction. He therefore ordered all records before him taken before the grand jury for investigation. Before the grand jury, Thomas B. Cromwell, who swore to the affidavits against Powers and Davis, Chief Ross and Captain Reagan, a detective named Jenkins of the local force, 
and two soldiers who were on the train when the arrests were made were examined. Many other witnesses were sent for. The grand jury determined to thoroughly investigate and may issue summonses for the prisoners themselves. You've been listening to Jonathan Reed's Old Newspapers. Thank you for joining me on this journey into the past. I'm your host, Jonathan Cohen, wishing you a good night, sweet dreams, and a smooth tomorrow.